This is Truth and Love Ministries, where we bring people home to God by learning His truth and experiencing His unending love. This week's message is on faith. We are discovering how our faith will be tested, strengthened, and assured during times of trial. We pray this message refreshes you and speaks encouragement to whatever is going on in your life right now. All right, let's listen to a message named Faith. I want to say good morning to everybody. Hallelujah. Glory be to Jesus. God is so awesome. He's so good. And I thank him for being so faithful to watch over us, to keep us, to protect us, to shower us with mercies and and grace through every day and through these situations. I'm so grateful that he he's keeping our nation even though we're very close if we're not at 100,000 deaths. So sad, so sad for all the families that are, that have suffered through this and that is currently suffering through it. Have family members that are sick with the coronavirus There are those that are on ventilators and some on life support, not knowing whether they'll live or whether they will die. So we ought to be truly grateful, truly grateful, because God has kept us. We ought to be grateful that he's he's kept us working, those of us that are, are working We should be grateful that he's meeting our needs. We're not looking at our jobs. We're not looking at the government. But we're looking at our God and thanking him for being our provider and our protection and for keeping us. I'm not thanking God, not thanking a mask. But that is the means which God uses to keep us safe. And I thank him so much. I thank him so much. Because I I think about this, I think about there are so many things that we try to do to keep ourselves safe, but we don't really realize how many things we actually miss. You know, like some days I I leave home without a mask and I go into Walmart. I, I, I touch different parts of the buggy, I open doors, I do certain things that could infect me if it were not for God. And I realize that we can't cover everything. We won't ever cover everything to keep ourselves safe. So let's be grateful. Let's be grateful that God is doing it, that that God is doing it, that God is doing it. Remember that, that he's doing it. He's the one that's keeping you. He's the one that's protecting you. He's the one who has your life in his hands and able to keep you until the day of redemption. And, oh, God, let us remember again those who are sick and lost loved ones during this crisis to pray for them and for those who unselfishly put themselves in harm's way to serve and protect others without regard to themselves. And, and God, please help the scientists come up with a vaccine for this, this virus that has taken so many lives and affected so much of our country and so much of the world. God, I thank you for directing them and giving them instruction on what to do. And Lord, bless those that are unemployed and homeless and hungry. 
do what you've always done, and that is provide for them. You are Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. So I'm asking you to provide for them, Lord God, and I pray for our leaders, Lord God, that you would, that you would direct them and, and turn their hearts to righteousness and truth, turn their hearts to justice and fairness, turn their hearts to do your work and to do your will, Lord. And Lord, I pray for wisdom, for God's wisdom as people are getting out and people are returning to work and opening shops and shopping more and they're starting to mingle and go to beaches. I pray, Father, that you would keep them and this thing won't have a second outbreak in our nation. I break the power of the negative words that's been spoken by the, the, the experts, so they say. The Bible says that if any two on earth would agree as touching anything they shall ask, it'll be done for them of our Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, he said, there am I in the midst of them. And Lord, I just, I just, I just, I just don't agree. I disagree with the, with the prognosis that they're putting out that it's going to be another outbreak and that it's going to be worse in the fall. Lord, I'm, I'm just looking to you. I'm looking to you to work, to move, to to bring forth help and hope and and and, and Lord, I I just I, as as an as an ambassador for Christ in the earth, I just pray against this 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 virus. I curse it and I command it to die in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, Lord God, let it die, let it die, let it die, let it die. And Lord, I just praise you and thank you for everything that you've done and you are doing. Bless the word. Bless those that are hearing the word. And let nothing be said that you don't want said. You know the hearts of your people. Meet their needs where they are. Even if I have not prepared to say it, I'm open to the Holy Spirit. For the Holy Spirit to give me the word for every person that will hear this message, no matter where they are and when they will hear so, Lord, I just bless you today. I thank you and I praise you and I worship you because you are so awesome. You are so awesome. You are so very awesome, Lord God. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Hallelujah. This morning we're going we're gonna to talk about, we've, we've, been looking, we've been looking at the story of, of a godly king and we've seen this godly king face, face an, unex, an, an, an unexpected crisis in his life. He's, he's, he, we've seen how he's responded. We've seen the message that he received. The king Hezekiah, he's actually got a word from, from the prophet. He was sick. And, he get, and the prophet Isaiah came to him and said, get your house in order or set your affairs straight. Because you will not recover, you will die. And Hezekiah did what most godly people would have done. He responded. And how did he respond? He actually prayed. He, he turned his face to the wall. I think if it had been me, I would have asked the prophet Isaiah, you got a word from God. I would ask him why. Did God tell you why? I would have asked him a series of questions. But Hezekiah 
didn't question the messenger. He questioned the one that sent the message and he turned his face to the wall and prayed to God. And the Bible says that before Isaiah could get out of the palace's court, he, God stopped him and told him to return and go back and tell Hezekiah that he had added 15 years to his life and that he would recover. How awesome God is. And then we, you know, we see that he is a godly king. He was a godly king. According to the word in 2 Kings 18, verses 5 through 7, this, this, is the, this is the word, these are the words I believe that God inspired the writer to write about Hezekiah. It said he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. And listen at this, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. That's an awesome testimony about a man. And then it says, he, he said, it says he, for he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. And then it says, and the Lord was with him wherever he went out. He prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. Now that was an awesome that's an awesome testimony, awesome testimony of a godly man. And I can see how Hezekiah was kind of devastated to have such a resume, to have such a resume, and then find yourself suffering. This is a good example of godly people suffering. It lets you know that even after all this was said about Hezekiah, that he was a godly king and he trusted God and he wouldn't let go. He wouldn't turn away from God. He obeyed the commandments of God and God was with him and caused him to prosper. You can't ask for a greater resume. But yet he found himself sick. He found himself in a crisis, in a situation, in a dilemma. And he's not the only saint that has suffered. If you think about Job, Job was suffering and lost everything that he had and even had an attack on his physical being and, 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 and was scraping dead flesh off of his body. And even Paul, Paul said he had been hungry and shipwrecked and, 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 and been through all kind of threats and storms and all kind of things, stoned. And he had been through so much. And then, in, and if Jesus suffered, the Bible says he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. If our master suffered, if the Lord himself, there's not another perfect human being that came into the earth other than Jesus. And if he suffered, we have to understand that there has to be some suffering for God's people. How did Hezekiah respond again? He prayed like most godly people would. He prayed. He turned his face to the wall and he prayed. And God answered and promised to heal him. Well, how awesome it is. How awesome, man, for you to be sick and then you get a word from the prophet that you're going to die. You turn your face to the wall and you pray. And then you, you pray. And when you pray, before the man can get out of the palace, wow, God speaks to him and tells him to turn back. 
which means God is sovereign, but included in his sovereignty are the prayers of his people. And let that be, let that be an encouragement to you that no matter what the situation, no matter how grim it looks, no matter how bad it looks, I want you to always pray because God has included our prayers in his sovereignty. Then we see where he went through many different feelings. The Bible says that he felt, I mean, well, the Bible didn't actually say it this way. This is what I brought out of it. He felt fragile. He said, he said his life was like a tent, easily taken down, made of, of weak and fragile material of canvas and rope. He said he felt anxious. In other words, he said he tried to calm himself all night until the morning. He was anxious about what was happening with him. These are the things that a godly man felt. And I'm going through this because I want you to understand that when you feel fragile, when you feel anxious and can't sleep and can't rest. And then he also said he felt weary. His eyes were weary from looking up. In other words, not just looking up at the ceiling, but looking up and calling on God. Sometimes we get weary when we pray to God and pray to God and pray to God and pray to God. And it seems like God is not hearing and God is not answering. We get weary in praying to him. But let me encourage you again. Don't ever give up praying to God. Don't ever stop praying to him about whatever the situation may be. And Hezekiah felt separated. He felt separated from the saints. He could not go up to the temple because he was sick and he wanted to go up and worship. He wanted to go and worship again. He wanted to enter into the presence of God. He said he, said he wouldn't see the Lord again in the land of the living. In other words, his opportunities to worship, when we come together to worship, it is to behold the beauty of the Lord, to see Jesus in our midst until we can see him with our, 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 our new eyes when we enter into heaven. And then he, felt, he said he felt cut off. He, said he felt like he was in the prime of his life. He was in the midst of his life. And now he, he had a lot of work he needed to finish, a lot of stuff he needed to do. And now he felt like he said he, said, he felt like a, 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 a loom, a weaver had come and the cloth was finished. He came and cut it off the loom. He felt like his life was being cut off in the very midst of it, in the very middle of it. And lastly, he felt that God was against him. If you remember last week, he actually said that he felt like a, a lion was mauling him. And that lion was God. And we learned that we should let all these things lead us to Jesus. We should let every one of these things, anytime you feel fragile, anxious, weary, separated, cut off, and if you feel like God is against you, let these things lead you to Jesus. Now today we want to look at Hezekiah's faith. And there are three things that we want to look at about, at about his faith. The first thing is, is, is that his faith was tested. Anytime you enter into a crisis, your faith will be tested. 
The second thing is that his faith was, was strengthened. And the third and last thing is that his faith was assured. When we go through an unexpected crisis, our faith will be tested. Our faith will be tested. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 says this. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. He said, now don't, don't consider this to be strange. Don't be surprised. It's a part of life. It's the process of life. It is what God uses to help us to see where we truly are. And if you look at Hezekiah's story, it says he struggled with great bitterness. He tells the truth about his situation. I'm grateful for that. I'm sure he asked the question, why me? I'm sure he asked God, what are you doing? What is this all about? I lived up right before you. I've done the things that you've commanded of me. I followed the commands that you've given Moses. I didn't obey that wicked king. I seen you work in and through me. I seen you go out with me. I seen you to cause me to prosper. What are you doing? What is this all about? And I'm sure a lot of us want to ask that same question of God. Hezekiah, he trusted in God, but he found in a crisis he found trusting God was not so easy. You remember, I always say, you know, all of us trust God when things are well. It's easy to trust God when the things are going well on the job and the children are doing what we need and expect for them to do and, and, and the bills are paid and the financial situation is in a good state and everything is well. It's easy to say that I trust the Lord, but the truth of the matter is, do we trust him when we're in a crisis? Do we really trust him when we're in a crisis? Hezekiah found that his faith was not as strong not as strong as he thought it was. It was not as strong as he thought it was. He realized that he was not the great faith king that he thought himself to be. A test always exposes two things. Where we're strong, and I know you already guessed the second one, where we're weak. And I believe that mostly God uses tests to reveal to us our weakness and really and truly is for our good. Romans 8, 28 says this, he says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. In other words, no matter what the test is, no matter what the test is, God 
in the midst of it, if you could hold on to this and think about this in the midst of your situation, if you could think that God is trying and going to, if I work along with him, bring this together for my good. If you could not focus on what is really happening and try to focus on what God is doing and work in cooperation with him and say, I know what he promised. And he said that he would work everything together for the good of them that loved him and those who were called according to his purpose. If you can hold on to that, I believe that you will begin to see your situation different and understand what God is doing. Remember what I said a few minutes ago. A test exposes two things, strengths and weaknesses, and I believe that God mainly uses the second, and he's trying to help us to see where we are weak. I don't really need God to work in the areas that I'm strong. And God is not working in the areas where I'm strong. He's working in the areas where I am weak. Hezekiah said this in Isaiah chapter 38 and verse 17. We're going to do a lot in verse 17 because it tells us several different things. He said, behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness. Hmm. In other words, Hezekiah was saying, it is for my good. It was for my good that I had great bitterness. It was for my good. Okay? So how did God use it for his good? How did God use this for, it for his good? If you look at Isaiah chapter 38 and verse 15, it says, I walked slowly all my years because of the bitterness of my soul. Let me read that again. He said, I walked slowly all my years because of the bitterness of my soul. What does it mean to actually walk slowly? What was he actually saying? To walk slowly means to walk humbly. What Hezekiah was saying was, after he saw who he was, after he saw himself, it caused him to walk humbly before God. Hezekiah probably said, I used to think my faith was strong, but when the unexpected came, I didn't do so well. Hezekiah probably said, I wish I could say I trusted God all the way, but I didn't. He's literally saying, God used this to humble me. God used it to humble me. I'm done with pride in myself on the strength of my faith. From now on, I will walk humbly. I will walk slowly before my God. It's almost the same words that that, that, that uh, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, be quick to hear and slow to speak when you come before God. Don't be too quick. Don't be too rash with your mouth and make a vow that you can't keep, that you're not planning on keeping. Walk humbly before God. 
I believe that pride lurks in all of our hearts. And spiritual pride is the worst form. God may use a crisis to humble you. He may show us our faith is not as strong as we think. Just think about the life of Peter. I want you to just think about the life of Peter. Peter was always the one that was always outspoken. He was always the one that, that stood up and said something. He was, he was always the first to, to speak forth and say something. After the Last Supper, Jesus said, told them all of them was going to betray him. And Peter stood and said, Lord, though, though all betray you, I will never betray you. He said, I'll die with you. And he said, and Jesus looked at him and said, before the cock, cock crows twice, you'll deny me twice. And, and Peter said, Lord, I'll, I'll never do that. Spiritual pride in the worst form. Peter was the one that stood and said, Lord, if it be you, bid me to come. And he stepped out of the boat and walked on the water to Jesus. But showing you how God worked in Peter's life. Look at who Peter was when Jesus was walking the earth. And then look at what Peter said as he became the good shepherd and that great pastor of God's sheep. Peter said these words, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares on him because he cares for, for you. Look at how God took him from that spiritual pride to humility. Peter understood what it meant to be humble before God. And I truly believe that there's a thin line that we cross and we're over into pride and we really don't ever realize and know when we're there. I want you to think about Satan when Satan was in heaven and he was making this, making his plans to exalt his own throne. I want, I want you to know he said, I, 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 my, 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 my. And I want you to just be cautious and careful when you are speaking these words. I want all of us to be careful that when we do something and it turns out good, that we realize and recognize that the glory belongs to God. I want us to remember this. John 15 and 5, and I know you heard it and you're probably tired of hearing it, but Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branch. And without me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. You can do nothing. No thing. Nothing. Without Jesus, we can do nothing. I want you to think back to Adam before God breathed into him the breath of life, he was a lump of clay laying upon the ground, and that's what we are. And I want you to understand that in every moment of our lives, we are used, we are designed, created to live the life of another, to yield ourselves so that the life of another can be lived through us. That's why God made us. 
because he wanted to live in us and through us. And then the devil came and gave us our own will, our own desire, and told us we could be like God or we could be God when he had already made us in his image and in his likeness. He told us we could be like God. And the greatest test and temptation that we face on a day-to-day -day basis, week-to-week -week basis, month-to-month -month basis, is the temptation to try to be God in our lives. The temptation of pride is lurking every day, every day, seeking to dominate and control the life of the Christian because the Bible says God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. And so the devil's goal is to try to get us into pride. And like I said, a line is so, you know that song says, it's a thin line between love and hate. In other words, you don't know when you're on either side of it. And we need to be careful. We need to always remember that Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branch, and without me you can do absolutely nothing. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. Remember these words. I am nothing. I own nothing. And I can do nothing. But then on the flip side, I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. That's the right answer. And let's, let's hold on to this principle. An unexpected crisis will test your faith and God can use this to make you like Jesus. If you face the test and don't do so well, let it humble you and show you how much you need Jesus. Also, thank God that your salvation does not depend on the strength of your faith, but on the strength of your Savior. That's worth, that's worth repeating. Remember, thank God that your salvation does not depend on the strength of your faith, but on the strength of your Savior. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but by his grace he saved me. It's not by what I've done, it's what Jesus has done for me that saves me. So, let's look at how faith, how our faith will be strengthened. Isaiah chapter 38 and verse 16 says this, O Lord, by these things men live. And in all these things is the life of my spirit. What was he talking about? He's talking about the word of the living God. He's talking about the word of God. I want you to understand that faith is strengthened, strengthened by the word of God. Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Or the word of God. I say it this way. So faith comes from hearing. And hearing a word from God. And I always use this. Analogy. That. I could go to. And I'm going to take some of us. Back further than what we know about. And what we even can remember. 
and some young folks don't even know what I'm talking about. I was at work and I, I mentioned something to a young guy and I said, you probably don't know anything about this. And he, he said, yeah, you're right, I don't know nothing about that. And, and I, I can remember as a kid going by Western Auto or a Tasco, you know, young, young people don't know what Western Auto and a Tasco is, but I can remember going by there looking in the windows. They used to have bicycles in the window and we used to go by there and look and we, we claim those bicycles and we'd be excited. And, but the truth of the matter is, I wasn't gonna get one of those bicycles until I, my mother said that she was gonna get me one. Now when mom said that she was gonna buy me one, I could then go from that point and say what? I'm getting that bicycle right there. Why? Because faith comes from hearing and in that situation, it came from hearing a word from mom. Mom had never lied. She kept a word. She'd done what she said. And I could rely and depend on what she told me. So faith comes from hearing and hearing a word from God. Faith prays what God has promised. What we need to do is look at what God has promised and then turn what he has promised into prayers. So that at some point I can know that word in my own experience. Faith turns promises into prayers. I was doing, I, 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 was, I was doing that this week and I was, you know, I mean, a lot of times you, you feel like you feel frail and weak and feel like you, you messed up something and, and, and I was, you know, I, I was praying, God, your word says, I don't have to fear. You have not given me the spirit of fear, but power, authority, love, security, sound mind, stability. That's what you've given me. I don't have to fear. And I'm praying, faith prays what God has promised. Faith prays when you come upon a situation or circumstance that you feel overwhelmed by, that you feel that you can't accomplish, you can't achieve, that you can't do. Faith says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I want you to read the verses above that. Verse 12, 11, Philippians 4, 12, 11. Paul was talking about going through difficult times. That's where that statement came from. He was talking about when I'm in a hard time. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. Faith must also be a part of our daily confession. You can't pray one thing and then say contrary to what you pray. Not if you're going to remain in faith. When you pray, your, 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 your saying or your confession has to be in agreement with what you pray. If not, it's like planting a seed in the ground and going back and digging it up and looking and wondering why it's not growing. It's like planting the seed and then digging it up and, and saying, I wonder why this thing ain't growing. And every day I go take it out of the soil and look at it. That's what, that's what happens when I, when, I, when, I, when I pray and then I say contrary. 
If you pray, then you got to say in agreement with what you pray. Don't pray for your children and then call them bad. Don't ask God to save them and then call them bad. Don't ask God to save them and then say, he'll never do right. You're speaking contrary. On one hand, you're asking God to help him and to work. On the other hand, you're releasing the devil to prevent him from working. The Bible says, a double-minded, a double-minded man, which leads to a double-tongued man, is unstable in all his ways. So we have to align our faith, our prayer life, with our confession. And the word confession literally means to say the same thing as. So when I confess, I'm actually saying the same thing as I pray. I'm actually saying the same thing as God has said himself. Now, we want to look at faith assured. In Isaiah chapter 38, verse 17, he says, But in love you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. The first thing, the first thing, that we're told and taught, the first thing that we need to know is that you, we are loved. I want to say one of the first scriptures that they actually teach us when we start learning scripture and learning the Bible is John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that if we would only believe in him, we wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. The first thing that, that I was told when I, I gave my life to Christ or before I gave my life to Christ was that God loves me. That's the first thing that I, I really needed to know. Because of the images that had been placed in my heart and mind about God, I had looked at my dad and transferred those thoughts about my dad over to God and thought God was like my daddy. And I realized that God wasn't like my dad. And I had to change the image that I had on the inside of me. The first thing you need to know is that you are loved. That particular scripture said, he loved me out of the pit. Nothing is more sure or proven than the love of Christ. God proved his love. He gave us his son. Jesus demonstrated his love and he gave his life. What more can you ask for? He didn't redeem us because he had to, but because he chose to. He chose to come and give his life. And he did it for you and for me. And nothing in life or eternity can separate us from that love. Absolutely nothing can separate us, according to Romans. Nothing that neither death, nor life, nor angel, nor principality, nor power, nor things present, nor things to come can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God.
Remember that you are loved. The next thing you need to know when you're trying to be assured in your faith is, is that I am saved. Look at Isaiah 38, 17 again. It says, you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction. We could literally say, Hezekiah may not have known this when he wrote this, but we could literally say, you have delivered my life from the pit of hell. You could literally say, I was on my way to hell. And God saved me from it. The pit of destruction, the place where all who are destroyed forever go. The second death that the scripture speaks of. This is the reason why Jesus came. Is to save us. That's what his name literally means. Jesus means savior. Savior is, is, is what his name means. And he is the reason why he came. And because of what Jesus did, you can say in the worst situation, I have been delivered from the pit of destruction. I may be going through hell now, but I'm not going to hell when I leave here. No matter what I'm facing, I can know I am loved and I can know that I am saved. And the third thing that we can know to assure our faith is I can also say I am forgiven. Isaiah 38, 17 again says this, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. For you have cast all my sins behind your back. I want you to note this and think about this as, as I say it. The closer you walk with God, the greater the awareness of your sins you will have. The closer you walk with God, the greater the awareness of your sins you will have. I want you to think about uh, uh, Isaiah, if you... If you, if you in your reading time, if you read Isaiah chapter 6, he said, the day Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And in that, same, in that passage, Isaiah said, when he saw God, one of the things he said is, woe is me. I'm an undone man. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among people of unclean lips. In other words, when he saw God, he not only saw God, but he saw himself. He saw himself. He saw his flaws. He saw his faults. In other words, the closer you are to God, the more of your sin you see. Let me say this to you. When you see how wrong you are, it's not a bad thing. That means you're close and God is causing your sin to be, be, be causing you to be mindful of your sins. The closer you walk with him, the greater the awareness of your sins will, you, 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 will, you will have. And I want you to think about John the Baptist when John said, when John came to him and he came to John and said, John, I need you to baptize me. He said, Lord, no, no, I need to be baptized of you. 
I need you to baptize me. John literally said, I'm not worthy to untie your shoes or to tie your shoes. The closer he got to Jesus, the more aware of his own sin he was. When Jesus entered into Peter's boat, Peter looked at him and said, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. I'm a sinful man. When the thief on the cross realized who Jesus was, he said, We are receiving the due reward of our sin, but this man has done nothing wrong. In other words, he saw that he was justly punished, but he looked at Jesus and saw he was not guilty. But when he saw in the presence of Jesus, he saw himself. He said, I'm receiving the due reward of my sin. God's presence, the closer you walk with him, the greater the awareness of your sins you will have. There are two places your sins can be. They can be before God's face or they can be behind his back. What will, determine your, what will determine your eternal destination will not be whether your sins are many or few, but if your sins are before God's face or behind his back. That's what will determine your eternal destination. Jesus died and bore our sins so that when we repent, God places our sins behind his back. He casts them, puts them in another place. And not just some of them, he puts all of them. The word says he cast our sins in the sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered anymore. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he moved, removed our transgressions from us. When John saw Jesus, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God that take away, taketh away the sins of the world. All the sins of the world. Jesus took them away. Jesus took them to another place. And he didn't just take some of them, he took all of them. Back in the Old Testament, the Bible says that, that, that the priests would actually, this is where the term scapegoat, we use the word scapegoat, they're using him as a scapegoat. And what they would actually do, the priest would actually, they would bring a goat to the priest. And the priest would lay hands on that goat. And he would, he would confess all the sins of the people on that goat and release that goat into the wilderness. And they say that that goat the wrath of God would fall on that goat in the wilderness. He would take, he would cast those sins away. He would take those sins away. And then God's wrath would fall on him, on that, on that goat. Matthew Henry said that when we cast our sins behind our back, God sets them before his face. But when we set them before our face in repentance, God casts them behind his back. And when they are behind his back, 
you can cast them safely behind your back. Let me say that again. Matthew Henry spoke these words. He said that when we cast our sins behind our back, God sets them before his face. But when we set them before our face in repentance, let me, let me clarify on the word repentance because so many Christians actually don't understand this word. They think when they confess, they are repenting. They're not repenting, they are confessing. Conf repentance means to change your mind. When I repent of my sin, I'm actually taking full responsibility for my sin, excluding all external circumstances. In other words, I'm not blaming anybody for what I've done. I'm saying I done this. I'm taking full responsibility. I'm changing my mind from thinking that I'm right to agreeing with God. What God says about it, I'm agreeing with what he said about it. That's repentant. I'm changing my mind. Up till now, I thought it was okay. But now I see it as God sees it, which means I've changed my mind about it. That's when I have, I set my sin before my face in repentance. Asking God to help me change my mind about it. And when I do that, God casts them behind his back. And when they are behind his back, you can cast them safely behind your back. The whole gist of this message and word is this. Everyone's faith will be tested. Everyone's faith will be tested. Know this as well. Everyone's faith can be strengthened. How do we strengthen our faith? By having a constant drip, like an IV in the hospital. By having a constant drip of the word of God into our lives. A constant drip of the word of God into our lives. An IV of the word into my life on a day-to-day -day basis. How can my faith be assured? My faith is assured when I realize and recognize without a shadow of a doubt that God loves me. And that love is not based on what I do is based on what Jesus has done for me and my acceptance of the life that he's given to me. I'm accepted in the beloved. Jesus paid the price for my sin so that I could have access to the Father, to the throne of grace, to the God of glory. I'm loved. 
I am loved. I am saved because I have accepted that life that Jesus lived a sinner's, he lived a, a perfect life. He died a sinner's death. He came back from the dead and offered that perfect life to you and I. And when I accept that life, I become saved. Remember this. My salvation is not based upon or dependent upon the strength of my faith, but the strength of my Savior. And my Savior is strong. Not only am I loved, not only am I saved, I am forgiven. The word says he has cast my sins behind his back. When I put my sins before my face in repentance, God cast my sins behind his back, away from me. Not some of them, but all of them. All of them. And this is why we should have confidence in the almighty God. We should be secure. We should be demonstrating hope that others may not see or have. Because we're loved, we're saved, and we are forgiven. Let us pray. Lord, we just bless you, we praise you, we worship you and honor you. We thank you, Lord God Almighty, for being so awesome and so good to us. For showing us mercy, compassion, kindness, for showering us with your grace. I thank you for all the good things that have proceeded from me, from you, to me, through me, to others. Lord, let me always be mindful of spiritual pride and thinking more of myself than I ought to think. Always, Lord, let another man's lip praise me and not my own. And Lord, even when that happens, let me always say, hallelujah, glory be to God. It's God, it's not me. It's not I, but it's, his, it's Christ that liveth in me. It's, he, it's him that's doing the work. Father, I, th I pray for our nation. I pray, Lord, for these, these deaths that have taken place unjustly. You're the God of justice, and I'm asking you to bring forth justice. I don't know what's right and what's wrong, but I'm asking you to turn the heart of these judges, district attorneys, prosecutors, whoever they may be, to do your work and to do your will. I pray again for scientists, direct them, lead them, guide them, help them to come up with ways to help and to save people and the lives of people. I pray for those that are sick, dealing with it, Lord God. I pray against the spirit of premature death. I counsel every plan that Satan would have against these people. And Lord, I commit these people to your care because you're able to keep them until the day of redemption. You are their salvation. You are their deliverance. You are their help. You are their hope. The hungry, the homeless, the unemployed, be with them, keep them, protect them, keep them safe, Lord God. And I thank you so much for doing that, my Lord, my God, my master. I'm trusting you to work, to move, to intervene and to have mercy in these situations that we're dealing with and facing in our daily lives.
Keep your people. I pray, Father, for all of us to be covered in the precious blood of Jesus, a bloodline that no enemy, no evil, no wickedness, and the death angel cannot cross. I bless you for it. Praise you for it. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, come back next week. But before you go, let's spend a little bit of time in worship to our God. What would you do if he walked into the room? What would you do if he walked into the room? What would you say if he walked into the room? How would you praise if he walked into the room? How would you shout if he walked into the room? If he walked into the room, what would you do if he walked into the room? Yes, what would you do?